0: So we remember, it's been a while, we remember our context has been one of worship. We're right in the middle of a huge section in Exodus on worship. How is Israel to approach God? Chapters 25 through 31 spell it out. It's massive. Every detail, down to the art and design of those things in worship, are given. A sanctuary. A tent, an altar, all the liturgical pieces of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the sacrificial system, the priesthood, all laid out, given instruction by God, and then we come to chapter 32. What a huge letdown. Here's all your liturgy. Here's, here's how you're going to approach me as a nation. God dwelling with His people and all the beauty that's contained in that. And then you come to chapter 32. Moses, this is up the mountain. The, the people give themselves to idolatry. It's quick. They wander away. This is instructive for our heart. This is a picture of me and you. This is how we wander away. We, like Israel, make idols. We're a bit more Western, maybe a bit more subtle. But we wander off. We make acceptable idols, acceptable sins, our reputation, our good name, our work, entertainment, sexuality, comfort, power, control. All acceptable things. This is what we do as good Westerners. So Israel had blown it. God is angry. He's ready to consume his people. And then Moses intervenes. Chapter 33. God is ready to send the people to the land of Canaan, but he will not go with them. We were asked a great question in that chapter, if we could have it all in this life and the next. But not be with God, would we take it? It's a great question. It's one that should still be on our heart. Israel's forced here to see the devastating reality of life apart from God. And the image is terrifying. We can learn a lesson from them because their answer to that question was no. We don't want to go. They take off their ornaments. They begin to act out in repentance. Then at the close of chapter 33, Moses, who's been intervening and, and standing in the breach this whole time, he, he does something pretty astounding. And if you let it, it'll catch you off guard. He, he didn't ask uh, for less, like just a little bit. He said, Now in this place, let, let me see your glory. Let me see your glory. And God does something even more amazing. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say, uh, I'm going to give you the cold shoulder. You people have made me sick. He doesn't turn away. He, he surprisingly says yes. 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 That's where our text picks up today. Chapter 34. What we'll see here is Intimacy restored. Worship offered and covenant renewed. Intimacy restored. Worship offered and covenant renewed. First, intimacy restored. We all understand conflict in relationships. From young to old in this room, we get it. We have conflict. We know this whether you're married, you're single, young or old. Conflict. You have a fight. You lose your temper. You say things you shouldn't. You do things you shouldn't do. Sometimes conflict leads to silence. Sometimes earthly relationships are so damaged and broken that it seems impossible to put things back together. I don't know what your experience is here. Uh, There's all sorts of things that can happen when We offend others or we get offended by others, but typically, one way or another, intimacy decreases. Closeness in relationship goes down. There's still a relationship. Of course I love you, uh, but I'm going to offer you less of myself. You're not that trustworthy. I put myself out there for you. I gave myself to you fully, and then this is what I get in repayment. And so as a result, you get less of me. That's often the way things work in conflict. When I was a kid, the common punishment I got was, go to your room. Go to your room. And by the way, before I go further, sometimes I I deserved that punishment. And rooms, by the way, my room was not a place of great hanging out, like, man, great, don't throw me... In there. No, it was nothing like that. It was, it was a place of a, a bit of isolation. It was where I got to go think about my behavior for a little while. Probably, again, well-deserved. But I think that encapsulates the way we think about sometimes punishment, right? You've done something wrong, therefore, boom, there's this tangible feeling of a break in relationship. What happens now in Exodus should take our breath away. It's utterly astounding what's going on here. The people have violated in the most devastating and clear ways God's directives that they have agreed to take up in relationship with Him. They've utterly blown it. They've broken relationship with Him in every way possible, ascribing power and glory that God alone possesses To an image made of metal. They said, Look, our Redeemer. They worshiped in vile ways in the name of this golden calf, their Redeemer. Yes, there are consequences. Yes, thousands fell dead. Yes, there was a plague and there was a sword. But there's not less intimacy, there's more. Into that most vile, broken relationship, God speaks more of His name to them than had ever been spoken up till this point. So Moses cut two tablets of stone and he goes up to the mountain. And there God descends in a cloud and stands before Him and proclaims, The Lord The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God gives this beautiful picture of himself. This is what Moses sees. This is the vision that he asked for. God, let me see your glory. Okay, I'll hide you so that you don't get the full thing. And then this is what is revealed to him. It's a sermon. God is preaching a sermon about himself. He's not restricting intimacy. He's not saying, you guys have blown it utterly and I'm done with you. He says, here's more of me. Here is more for you to consider about me and my greatness. It's an incredible scene. Consider Moses asked to see the the glory of God and God reveals himself to him in words. In words. Telling him of his character. This is what God wants Moses to see. What does He want Him to see? He wants Him to see these things. He's merciful and gracious, abounding and steadfast. That is covenant, faithful love and forgiveness. No, He's not going to clear the guilty, but this is who God is. There's so many things that we could say about this. First, I think, is this. God is a missionary God. He's a missionary. He, he wants to be known. God is saying, here's who I am to a people that need to hear it. This is God's heart. He wants to be known by people. God is the first missionary. He's a missionary. This name will, will continue and resonate throughout the Old Testament as an anchor point for Israel. The name of God is so closely attached to the character of God. They can't be separated. This is a God of mercy and grace and compassion and covenant loyalty, but He's also just Again, this will abide throughout the Old Testament and will be fully revealed when you get to the New Testament that has all of these things embodied in a person, the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. In contrast, in Exodus 20, we heard in the Second Commandment God present himself as a jealous God, punishing, bringing justice, putting that on display here. God is emphasizing His grace, His compassion, His mercy, His steadfast love. All those things are on bright display. You've blown it in the worst possible way. And here's more of me. That's what the gospel does. That's why we come here to worship today. Because we blow it in the worst possible way. And God says, here's more of me, not less. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here we have the back of God as He passes by. We cannot grasp or take in all of His fullness. This is astounding good news for those of us in this room. Every one of us has broken fellowship, broken faith with God by sin and defiance, which leads to the punishment, which is death. This is what we deserve. And God is coming into that, speaking into that more of himself, that he is gracious, he is compassionate, he is a faithful one. The character of God announcing his name, Israel had seen all of these things on display already, but now God tells them, here's the truth who I am John tells us something astounding we've gone to John time and time again especially his prologue in John 1 uh, 18 we hear these words no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known Jesus Christ reveals unfolds he narrates God to us Where do we look to see all these characteristics on display? We look to Jesus. Talk a lot about idolatry in Exodus. Not just in 32, but before, and God again warns over and over and over about the nature of idolatry. What's the answer for that? What's the answer for our, our idolatrous hearts? And we've kind of gone over this whole thing. Calvin says our, our hearts are idol factories. We're all in agreement. Those things are true. They're true not just of those people over there. They're true of us. They're true of me and of you. So what do we do? I think in God's revelation here of himself, we get, we get part of an answer. What's the focus need to be for us? The answer for idolatry is not navel gazing. It's not a continuously looking in. It's not paralysis by analysis. Let me just find all these subtle turnings of my heart and understand it fully, and then I'll be good. I'll be free of my idols. No, what God does here is instructive in the face of idolatry, it's looking at Him. It's looking at His character. It's looking at who the one true and living God is. That's what shapes us. Look to Jesus Christ, the one that God revealed in the flesh. Look to your salvation. Look to your Redeemer. Look to God's grace. Look to how much your love. Look at the compassionate God who's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, who came to live and die for you. That's where you look. Those of you here struggling deeply with besetting sin, where are you going to turn? Are you going to continue navel-gazing, continually, continually looking in and saying, okay, I need to understand more here? That's what we do. We, we look at ourselves without acknowledging who God is. There's something really instructive right up front in Calvin's work. And this will be really instructive if it can land on us today. How do we know ourselves? We want to know who we are, right? We all have this tendency, especially in the Christian life, to know more, to dig deeper. But how do we do that? He says this, nearly all the wisdom we possess, this is a Calvin Quote from the Institutes. That is to say, true and sound wisdom consists in two parts the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Thus, from the feeling of our own ignorance, vanity, poverty, infirmity, and what is more, depravity and corruption, we recognize that the true light of wisdom, sound virtue, full abundance of every good and purity of righteousness rests in the Lord alone. Again, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating God to scrutinize himself. What do we do when we're stuck in idolatry? What do we do when besetting sins are taking us down? What do we do when we feel like we have this sin that we can't do anything about? He says the first thing we need to do is lift our gaze from ourselves to the true and living God. We need to know Him. His righteousness, His virtue, His character need to so fill us that we're shaped by it. That's where idol- idolatry will be confronted. That's where hope will be given. And you will never know yourself unless you know God. You will never know the depths of your heart until you see the glory and majesty of the true and living God. Have you tasted of that true and living God? Have you seen this character on full display in the person and work of Jesus Christ? We all come here with the accuser hanging over us, constantly accusing us, constantly saying things to the deepest parts of our soul, you're unworthy, you don't measure up, You're not good enough. And then we think in response, if I can just dig deep enough, or if I can find enough in myself, I can uproot this sin and be done with it. And in all of that, we don't take into our minds, into our hearts, who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. Do you know Jesus Christ? The power and glory and mercy and grace of God on display. Jesus came, He lived in our place. He died a cursed death. He was hung on a tree. Then He conquered death in glorious resurrection. Do you know those truths? Do those truths at all interact with who you are and the way that you live? those of you here who have met with God, who have heard His grace, compassion, love, covenant faithfulness, has this truth transformed your life? Or is it just stagnant? Was God just simply telling him this as a missionary God? Is He just simply telling Moses, this is how I am, without any implication for Moses or Israel whatsoever? No, of course not. These things... Are given to change us knowing God knowing him will transform your life it will produce fruit God making himself known that is at the heart of the Exodus a people transformed by redemption what has redemption done in your heart What can this look like? What does it look like? What difference could it make in someone's life? This can look a thousand different ways. And that is the grace and and mercy and compassion of God to forgive sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What difference can that make? When Corin was three and Silas was one, Kim and I have been married about four years at this point. We met a man named Steve Morgan and his wife Laura. Their children, Emma, Eli, Aiden, and Bella. This family started in, in investing in our lives. They began doing simple things like having us over for dinner. Come eat. Come eat with us. They befriended us. Steve had problems. But it shocked me how much his struggles were on his sleeve. He didn't spend time navel gazing. He didn't spend time just looking in. He said, Here's where where I'm at. He wrestled with himself, with his sin. And every single time I would come away having talked more about Jesus than about Steve or myself, about the goodness of God. God's goodness, his character. These attributes on display right here in Exodus 34, I came away from ordinary conversation with that resonating in my soul. He also did some things that will never leave me when we got together, whether it was at our house or their house or even someone else's house. Steve would get everyone set up. This was utterly shocking to me. It shook me. He would get everyone else set up, and then he would go into the kitchen and start doing the dishes. the dishes he served he served others with an open hand and here's the point in all of this the character of God the gospel coming to bear in this man's life shaping and moving to, to create something beautiful and something began to happen Slowly, my view of who I am began to to slowly change. I had no idea. I couldn't put a label on it. Friendship. Looking back now, friendship. And a disciple was being made. A follower of Jesus was being forged. Forged. Steve and Laura had been transformed by the grace of God. These attributes were not cold, static realities that existed out here. They confronted idolatry, and they walked those things out. What slowly began happening during this time was my eyes were being lifted from my own navel, constantly looking inwards. And They were being lifted to actually see God and see other people. That's what made me want to be a pastor. Before any of that happened, no chance. I didn't want it. How could someone who's broken ever do that? How could we ever proclaim the goodness and grace of God and the the wonder of the gospel? We focus on Him. We look at His character. Then recently... On September 17th, Steve's third child, Aiden died. Unspeakable pain. A sweet covenant child, who have known for most of his life, gone. The Morgans hurting. In terrible grief and pain and agony that I cannot understand. But even in that, I've seen the work of God in them. They're defiantly clinging to hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is written by the Morgans in the face of death. Christian words of defiance in the face of death. We hold to the truth that God is still good and is always faithful. We are resting on the truth that Aiden trusted Christ's finished work of righteousness on his behalf and is at home with Jesus And from the obituary, again, written by his parents, of all the descriptors above, including the nature of his death, none is more true identifier of who he was than this, the redeemed, the beloved of God. Aiden knew Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had come into this world to heal the brokenness and save the lost. With his hope in this world fading away, his hope, And the delightful gaze of Jesus upon him did not. He stands in that gaze now, no pain, no tears, no sorrow. What does that? What allows for that kind of defiant hope to remain in the soul of people? It's this that they know the character of God. These people know God, they have seen his back. They have beheld these truths not as some cold and distant reality over there on Sinai, but embodied in a person, embodied in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we wonder about the shaping influence of God's Word in our life. I want you to know that God's Word character of God, the gospel of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ changes things it shapes us it molds us what does it mean to us sitting in the pew that the Lord is merciful and gracious what does it mean that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness what does it mean that he keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, what does it mean that he is also fully just and will not clear the guilty how has the truth of the gospel shaped you how are you being shaped by the character of God does the gospel mean anything other than we come together and do this this is great corporate worship is beautiful it's a day of worship and rest graciously given to us by God but does it mean anything on Monday what do we do with this and dealing with others and loving others and and, and seeing them are we too busy na- navel gazing do we continuously look in on ourselves or can we look out and see anyone else God reveals His name so that we would be changed, so that we would be shaped. And when that happens, by the way, if God is the missionary and He is revealing and and His character comes to bear in our hearts, can that help but spread to others? It will not remain stagnant. It will go. It will go out to other people in love and service. In the name of Christ. So not only do we see intimacy renewed, we see worship offered. What is Moses going to do when he gets this kind of picture of God? That's the only thing he can do. Look at verse 8. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. He worshipped. whole chapter is God speaking in Israel's ear with a megaphone. It's not because of you that I save. It's not because of your goodness. It's not because of what you bring or don't bring. It's because of me and my character. That's why God redeems. And the only answer in the face of that is not, okay, good, Let's, uh, let's do one, two, three. No, the only answer is... Worship, to declare the worth and might and beauty of God. Worship. Worship is the right response to God revealing himself. The only response to such a declaration is worship, to bow down and and worship, to declare the worth of the true and living God. So the question comes to us, does grace... The grace of God form us in worship. Why do we do what what we do? Why do we do this? Is it just ritual? Do we come here because, yep, it's that time of week. It's time to go there and do that thing that we do. Or is this an overwhelming response that we can't help but come and declare the the goodness and glory of God week in and week out? We have no choice. We can't be anywhere else. This is who we are. We have experienced, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and we come and, and the only response that we can drag up is worship. This is who we are. It's what we do. Underneath all our preferences regarding worship, does the grace of God compel us to worship God? Do we worship God corporately without ever engaging with Him on our own? Or with our families? Or with anyone else? Notice too that Moses continues his mediation in the context of worship. Moses mediates by asking God that he would simply be God. Notice this prayer, pardon our iniquity and sin and take us as your inheritance, the very thing that God just said he would do. Moses prays God's words back to him. Okay, God, you just said that you would be merciful and gracious, that you would forgive iniquity and and pardon our sin. Would you do that? Do you ever pray God's word back to Him? Incredibly instructive for Christians. God has made promise after promise after promise. And Moses is just reminding God of what he just said. Sometimes if you don't know what to pray, child of God... Pray God's word back to me. This is where God is revealed. And I know sometimes we're clinging for anything. We don't feel like praying. What, what can we do? Open your Bible. And with your Bible open, pray. Finally, we see the covenant renewed. The covenant that God had made with them in chapter 20 was already broken. And God graciously responds here by renewing the covenant. God's work in verses 10 and 11, he restates and he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. This is after the Exodus. He says, You've seen all this stuff, but you haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to show you something that's incredible. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. God is remaking His covenant. Again, God is not selfish of saying, hey, you have less of me. He's saying, you have more. And here they come to covenant renewal. God has to renew His covenant with His broken people again and again and again across the pages of Scripture. covenant stipulations 100% of this what's spelled out here we've already seen it's bits and pieces but the interesting thing is every single bit of it has to do with worship so God is saying this what's going to mark me is my character and what's going to mark you is worship the character of God and the people of God this section of the covenant renewal it's just a, a snapshot. The covenant is being reforged. And there sits Moses. And that's, that's where this scene kind of closes. There sits Moses in the presence of God. Forty days, forty nights, no food, no drink. The mediator is being sustained by God on the mountain. And in this covenant renewal, we can't help but think of another mediator who didn't climb a mountain, who didn't bask in the glory of God, he didn't come down with a shining face, another mediator, Jesus, went into the wild. The garden had been replaced by a desolate desert. And Jesus walks into that desert, and for 40 days and 40 nights he fasts, living on the sustenance of God alone, And there in the wilderness, he doesn't meet with God. He meets with the enemy, Satan. And there he mediates in our place. He utterly defies the enemy at every point where we fail. Jesus succeeds. This is where covenant renewal is to point us. Why do we worship week in and week out? Why will this never stop? Listen, Grace Presbyterian will not take a Sunday off. We worship because this is what covenant does. This is our covenant renewal. Week in and week out, we come in and we behold Jesus together. This is the nature of the gospel at work. Amen, let's pray. Father, thank you that unlike us, when we defy you, You don't turn your back. You don't go another direction. You come towards us. You invite greater intimacy. You make yourself known. You renew your covenant with us. Father, would you do that today? As we commune with you by your word and sacrament, would you be at work shaping us into beautiful image bearers who overflow with love for others. Would you do this? Would you, a missionary God who wants to be known, be known through sinners like us? And We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.